If you have your Bible, we'll be in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. It's just a tremendous privilege to be able to be here today and to share with you. And I uh, just want to thank your pastor for the invitation to come and um, thoroughly enjoyed the worship choir with you and with the orchestra. What a way to play the piano. Wow, I tell you, you guys are spoiled. That lady can really play that piano. But uh, and the organ over here as well, thank you for all the time of worship this morning. Um, my responsibility to you today is to just, in this time together, to try to share with you a snapshot of what God is doing around the world. Um, I've been with the International Mission Board for 36 years, my wife Leanne and I. Uh, about three weeks ago, just celebrated our 35th anniversary. And so this is something we've been doing um, most of our lives. I was born on the field, middle of five boys, uh, born to my parents. My dad delivered me in a bush hospital, uh, accused him of just wanting to get his licks in early. Uh, fortunately, uh, that wasn't the last time. But um, in our family, at one time we had, there are six Dr. G. Forts. Mom named us all middle names beginning with G. And at one time we had five Dr. G. Forts on the mission field. And the International Mission Board would occasionally get that mixed up. One time we got our prayer calendar and I was married to the wrong woman in the wrong country. So that wasn't very comforting to me. And uh, I was uh, speaking in a church in Louisiana, and our kids were with us. And my daughter, Sarah, is my eldest daughter, uh, at that time was about 12 years old. And one of the church ladies after church asked Sarah, well, what kind of doctor is your father? And my daughter, Sarah, without batting an eyelid, uh, thought for a second and said, I think he's the kind that doesn't do you any good. So... <laughs> So unfortunately, that's what you got today. 175 years ago, come January, Southern Baptist came up with this idea that God could accomplish far more through us if we would work together than if we would try to do missions alone. And the International Mission Board was birthed. And through these 175 years, Southern Baptists have never lacked for a witness amongst the nations. Today, out around the world, you have 2,877 missionaries like Chris and Katie Knowles out in Mozambique who are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We had this conviction that the world needs Jesus. That's, that's what led us to this enterprise Woman's Missionary Union was birthed to, to support, to pray for, to encourage, to raise missions offerings, to raise prayer support. There, my mother, when they were in Africa, there was the Wana and Fort prayer circle in a church formed to pray for and support. We just closed the books about two weeks ago and reported back to Southern Baptists that Last year, in a time of transition, Southern Baptists responded to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering to the tune of $156.6 million. It's the third highest offering in our 175-year history. It's something we believe in. That's the point. It's something that we agree um, we should do. But the question I have for us this morning, and for those of us here in the choir, I haven't forgot where you are either, and... Uh, 
The question that is on the table before us is, depending on what God is doing in our world today, what is my responsibility to that from where I live and work? So if you're a resident of Tifton, Georgia, the question is, in your place of life and ministry and service, what does God want you to do in connection with this big picture that he is at work in the world today in, in, in miraculous ways. And I hope from this text, just to talk to you out of this text. Now, Brother Wayne, I've been hearing from your church members that you're a great teaching pastor. So you get great teaching from the Word of God, great preaching, and I'm not here to do that, okay? I'm here, I just want to talk with you. And I want to take this text and out of Romans chapter 1, 14, 15, and 16, and just out of the text, just talk to you from the text and ask you some questions about what's here in this text, and then share with you some things that God's doing. And then at the invitation time, Pastor will lead the invitation uh, for us just to respond in whatever way God prompts your heart. And uh, that's his business in your life, to speak with you about that. And what I have found in my uh, ministry, I began when I was 19 years old in college to pastor a little rural country church, is that um, God is perfectly able to let you know what he wants you to do. I found that most of the time, the question is not what does he want me to do. Most of the time, people know what he wants them to do. They just don't want to do it. And oftentimes, they will go around and talk to different counselors, hoping somebody will tell them what they want to hear so they don't have to do what God has said. But my impression is that when God wants to speak to you and you want to hear from him, he's perfectly able to do that. Now, in the text this morning, in verse 14, here's what it says. I am a debtor. I'm reading out of the King James. I like the way this has been translated in the English language. I'm a debtor. If you have a more modern translation, it'll say I'm under obligation. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So as much as in me is, verse 15... I am ready to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. My wife and I began our career uh, in Botswana. We were living on the backside of the Kalahari Desert in a little village called Maun. When we first went there, uh, you'd turn off the main road, the paved road, and it was another about 210, 220 miles to get to our village. It was out in the backside of the desert. In the summertime, it would be extremely hot and dry. The spiritual soil of our village wasn't very responsive. I would go out sometimes to share the gospel, and people were polite. They would listen to me, but they just wouldn't really respond to the invitation to salvation. And it was a hard place. And at times I would become discouraged along the way, thinking that, you know, maybe there was a better assignment somewhere else in the world that, that, that needed the gospel more than my own Botswana. And I, in the midst of that, was wondering and asking myself the question when I was one time reading over in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 about, about the Apostle Paul, who was a missionary and whose life wasn't easy either. And, and I read these words, 
um, he, he was defending his missionary calling and he says, I've been in, verse 20, he said, I've been in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes except for one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watching often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Does it sound like he's having a good time? <laughs> And when I would read that, I would think to myself, what was it that motivated him to keep going when it was so difficult? I mean, if you're headed out and today and you know that along the way someone's going to throw a stone at you, or maybe you're going to get arrested and put in prison, maybe you're going to be beaten, do you think you'd be very excited about that? In my missionary career, I've heard people make this statement, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will for your life. Have you ever heard that? Do you think Paul's life was safe? That doesn't sound like a very safe place to me. I mean, if I read that uh, litany of things to you this morning and said, now when you're in the center of God's will, here's what's going to happen to you. Someone's going to take you, strap you to a pole strip your cloak off your back, and they're going to whip you 39 times just for fun. And then another time when you're out faithfully preaching the gospel, which is what God's called you to do, a mob is going to gather around you, take you into the city square, throw you on the ground, pick up stones, and stone you until you're left for dead. Does that sound safe to you? Doesn't to me either. So friends, listen. When you surrender your life and give yourself to God, yes, the only place to be is in the center of the will of God. But don't for a second think that that's a safe place. If by that you mean you won't encounter any difficulty. Now listen, I don't live in Tifton, Georgia. But I just wonder if your testimony, those of you who've lived here all your life, has been, well, living in Tifton, Georgia has just been safe all my life. Just been great, no problems here, never had any issues, no challenges. Uh, I mean, if that's true, I'd sure love to talk to you. Because my experience has been that life happens to all of us. Difficulties come, storms come. In fact, in the Christian life, storms are normal. They're just part of walking in obedience to the call of God. They're normal. They're just normal. Uh, in East Asia, uh, one of our missionaries was meeting with a group of leaders, and as they were sitting around there, a young lay pastor got up to give a testimony. My missionary friend leaned over to one of the elder pastors and said, wow, this, this man, he's really uh, got a lot of potential. And the guy sitting next to him said, well, we'll see. He, he hadn't had his prison experience yet. You see, in that place, all of the senior pastors have all been in prison for their faith. 
It's normal for them to meet together and say, hey, what happened to the, you the last time you are in prison? Well, they broke these fingers right here. Well, they took cigarettes and burned uh, spots on my feet. That, that's just normal for them. They don't think anything about that. In fact, they came to us to say, uh, we want you to help us to recruit and send out missionaries from our churches. Our vision is to send out 100,000 missionaries. <laughs> they said, we don't have your resources, but in the last uh, generation, God has taught us to do something that we don't think you really understand how to do. They said, we know how to suffer. You know why Paul could keep getting up and going? Was because in this text, what he says is, there's something that's weighing down in my heart. There's something that's burdening me. There's something that's, that's pressuring me in my soul. And he said, that, that burden, that pressure that I feel is, is an obligation. It's a debt. He said, I feel like I owe something. And that debt, that debt he felt was an obligation to the gospel. He felt like... God had given him freedom in the gospel. He had met Jesus. Jesus changed his life. You know, he was once a rebellious man. He thought he was doing God's work by being a zealot, by taking Christians, throwing them into prison, killing them uh, for the sake of his orthodox faith. But then Jesus met him on the Damascus road and he was transformed. And he, he, he left the life of, of being one who cursed and opposed God to being one who proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. And he said that that haunted him in his mind. The older he got, the worse he looked to himself. You look at his text. The, the, the more he wrote in the scripture, the later books of his life, that's where he says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. You know, young people, you may think your sin is nothing. You don't look too bad. But the older we get as we walk in the faith, there's times our sin weighs us down. Memories that haunt us of of how we were faithless to a faithful God, how we had opportunity and we, we, we rejected God's leadership and how we failed to follow through on things that we knew God wanted us to do. And those things weigh us down in our conscience and Paul felt that. And he said, this debt that I feel because of what God has done for me, I, I, I owe this witness to those who've never heard it before. We are up in the northeast part of Botswana. A friend of mine, Benjamin Kabika, it's from the capital city, Haberoni, where Ashley and, and Percy live. And he's from the Kalanga tribe, same tribe that Percy comes from. And Benjamin had left the tribe to come down to the capital city to get his education. And he had heard the gospel there, responded to it. And uh, he had a burden for the Kalanga tribe. As we studied their history, we realized that in their history, no missionary had ever been assigned to the Kalanga people. 250,000 of them sandwiched up there between Botswana and Zimbabwe. Earlier generations of missionaries had bypassed them. Livingston had gone up to Zambia, and there they were, left without a witness. So Benjamin asked if I would go with him. So I left my village a long way from where we live to where uh, that tribe is. But I met Benjamin on the paved road, and we drove into the forest to camp out. And uh, the next morning, we got up to go see the paramount chief to get his permission to be in the area. And as we're walking through the woods, I look over to my left, and in the woods there had been a a bunch of brush cut out, thorn scrub brush cut out to make a little cow pen for milking their cows in the evening. And that morning, there was a lady who had actually brought a cow in, was milking it. And as we were walking, I looked over and saw her looking at us from under the belly of this cow. And 
I felt a prick in my heart. I said to Benjamin, hey, look, there's a lady over there. Why don't we go share with her? Benjamin said, Pastor Fort, look, uh, she's probably just an uneducated uh, woman from the village up here. Uh, you know, we're two men. She's alone. She's going to be afraid. Why don't we just go see the chief first? So I agreed, and we went a little further down the trail. But I remember looking back one more time, and she was still watching us from under the belly of the cow. And again, I felt this tug in my heart. I said, Benjamin, I just feel like the Lord is leading us to share with her. He said, Pastor, you know, she's probably an uneducated woman from the village up here, but if you want to try, okay. I said, well, you call out a greeting in Kalanga. Then she knows at least you're from here. So he did. Shouted out a greeting. She stood up from behind the cow. We walked into the woods towards her. We got to the pen. She came out from behind the cow, and he greeted her. I said, ask her if I could tell her my story. So he he talks to her a minute. She agrees, comes around, stands on the inside of the pen. So here I am. I'm standing on the outside of the pen, and uh, Benjamin's the translator. She's standing there. So I open my, the simple truth of the gospel, just a very basic truth of the gospel. You know, friends, this is what I love about the gospel is that it's not complicated. It's profound. But it's not difficult to understand. I was speaking with a Muslim man in northern Iraq who asked me, why can't a man pay for his own sins? And he was arguing with me, and I said, this is not difficult to understand. You just don't want to understand. See, friends, if you're here and you're lost today, you know why you're lost? You want to be lost. God is extending his invitation to you to accept him. There's something in us that knows. I was created in the image of God. He's my creator. He made me. He made everything on this planet. Every day you walk outside, creation is crying out to us that he is here. But we have disobeyed him. He set in place the standard by which we should live. He made you. He knows you. He knows how you'll best operate. He knows what gives you love and joy and passion in your life. He's equipped you that way. But there's something in us. We just don't want to do what God says. There's something in us rebels against him. We think we know better. And so we disobey his holy, righteous laws that were designed and created to give you abundant life, not to distract you from joy in your life, not to prevent you from having a joyous life, but, but made for that very purpose. And we rebel against God. And it creates a distance between us. Sin brings a barrier. And we can't, we can't overcome it by ourselves. We try. I studied anthropology in university, and every anthropological study done shows that every, every people on this planet have a form of worship. They may worship trees, they may worship idols, may worship the moon, but it shows you there's a hunger in our heart for worship. We feel this distance from God. So I was explaining this to Benjamin's translating, and I'm watching... This woman, as the Spirit of God, is opening her understanding to this truth, and she's coming under conviction. I get through, and I said, Benjamin, ask her if today she would like to put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ, repent of her sin, and turn and receive this gift. And he's, he talks to her, and she nods her head yes. So Benjamin leads her in prayer. As this Kalanga woman, as far as we know, amongst the first of the Kalanga to come to faith, when she gets through praying... She lifts her head, turns it from looking at Benjamin, and she looks at me, and she starts to speak to me in fluent English. Educated English. And she says, I know you don't know who I am, 
But she said, I have a master's degree from the University of Oklahoma. She said, I'm the chief instructor at the teacher's training college down in the capital city. And then she made this statement. She said, I knew when you saw me in this cow pen, in the mud of this cow pen milking the cow, you would think I was just an ignorant peasant woman from the village. And she said, I said to myself, if what those men have to say is so important they would turn aside to share it with me, it must be the truth. That lady became a leading worker in our work in Botswana. But here's the essential question. Why isn't it up to us to decide who gets the gospel and who doesn't? Now, from my perspective, I'm talking about the the global picture here. 3,199 unique language groups in our world who've never had a missionary witness. No one's ever come there. They have no scripture in their language, no radio, no television program. They're like the Agul, high in the Caucasus Mountains of Eastern Europe, or the Sukutran off the coast of Yemen on some islands out there. Never had anyone come there and share the gospel with them. Now, that's who's on my mind, but let's just apply it to Tifton, Georgia. Why is it up to y'all to walk around the streets of Tifton, Georgia and say, this house will stop and share with them, but that other house over there, no. Or this person in my life... I love them. I'll share the gospel with them. But that other guy over there, he's a bit of a thorn in my flesh. I'm not telling him. Why isn't it up to us to decide that? Well, let me ask you a question. Is that what God did to you? You think think God looked out of heaven and he said to himself, well, my, my, my. If I could just get you on my team, how lucky I'll be. Or is there anyone in here this morning who would say, Brother Gordon, if you just knew my testimony, I was sinking like that old hymn. I was sinking deep in sin. Far from the peaceful shore. Very deeply stained within. Sinking to rise no more. But the master of the seas, he heard my despairing cry. And from the waters he lifted me. And now safe am I. And today you would say, Brother Gordon, I'm a trophy of the grace of God. Oh, if it hadn't have been for the Lord Jesus Christ, my life would have turned out very differently. I was on that slippery slope headed straight to hell, living my life like I pleased. If I'd stayed on that track, not only would I never have darkened the doors of a church, I'd probably be in prison, if not worse, dead. I would have destroyed everyone who loved me. My reputation would have been in shatters. But for the grace of God, he saw me, delivered me, forgave me for my sin, clothed me with his righteousness, filled me with his spirit, put me on a new foundation, and today... I have a purpose for my life. Now, if that's you, you're not going to convince old Gordon Ford you don't have a debt to pay. Oh, we have an obligation to the gospel. But what I love about this text is that Paul, he's, he's not thinking about his wounds and scars as though it's something to dread. He's not thinking about it as though he's going to hang his head and drag his heels. No. In this text, the next verse, in 15, he says... As much as in me is, 
I am ready to preach the gospel. In other words, I am on go. I, I left my uh, house one day in Richmond, Virginia. I headed to work and I came to this uh, traffic light and up next to me pulls this young man in a white Ford Mustang. And he looks over at me through his window and he hits the accelerator. Now look, I don't know if that does anything to you or not, but you know, there's just something down old Gordon Fort just wants to rise up. Because I feel like the guy's looking through there thinking, old man, see? So I start watching that light and I saw a little sliver of green. As soon as I saw that, I hit the accelerator and I peeled out in my wife's white minivan. <laughs> oh yeah, it was awesome. That guy was so far in front of me, it wasn't even funny. But I felt better, right? <laughs> now see, that's what the apostle's describing here. He is on go. He's ready for the sake of the gospel. If a door opens, he's ready to go. You remember when he got the Macedonian call? Come over and help us. He didn't wait a month. He didn't get a committee together to study the feasibility of it. He didn't look at his bank account to see if he had the money. No, as soon as he heard that call, he's on the boat the next day and he's headed over because God was opening a door. I was sitting in the village one time. I'd been out. It, was, it had been a hard day. Hadn't really had much going on, nothing happening. I saw a man sitting under a shade tree, and I went over and sat down next to him and introduced myself, did our cultural greetings, and uh, I get through, and he said, he said, I'm glad you've come to see me today. He said, I'm not uh, from your village. He said, uh, I, I came up here for a funeral service. My best friend passed away, and he said, last night, I was in what they call the washing of the tears. It's a form of the culture where you meet with a family, the community comes together to share in the grief of the family. So he had left the capital city to come for this. And he said, I was sitting in the, in the yard with my friend's body in a casket, sitting next to his family. And as I was looking at the casket, he used a one phrase. He said, there was a question that pierced my heart. He said, like a, like a spear stabbing me in my chest. He said, there's a question, stabbed me in my chest last night. He said, as I looked at my friend's casket, this is what came to my mind. If I had been in the casket instead of my friend, where would I be? Oh, what a great question. And under that shade tree, I got to share the gospel with this gentleman. And after I got through, he said, this, this is a message I've been waiting to understand all my life. But then he asked me something I've never been asked before, Pastor Wayne. He says, I know this is the truth. But he said, can God forgive a politician? <laughs> I never have been asked that before. I was thinking, well, back in America, I'm not real sure about that. But no, I'm teasing. No, I said, I said, well, why do you ask me that? He said, I'm a member of the opposition party. In fact, he was the leading member of the opposition party in Botswana politics. And he said, you know, in Africa, we have a saying, politics is a dirty game. And he said, in my political career, he said, I've done some really terrible things. Can God forgive me? I said, oh, yeah. But he may want you to change your testimony. Now, that shade tree, I got to lead this man to faith in Christ. About three months later, I was crossing the Kalahari Desert and I came to the last gas station before you crossed our village. And next to me on the island, a truck pulled up loaded with members of the opposition party and their yellow regalia chanting their political slogans and their songs. And this man was in the front seat driving and he got out and came around. 
And he saw me. He said, Pastor, do you remember me? I said, yeah, we met in my village. And I said, how are you doing? He said, oh, I just want you to know. He said, whenever I do one of our political rallies, the first thing I do is tell the people what Jesus means to me. Friends, to be ready for the sake of the gospel. I was challenging the earlier service. I have this conviction. Every Christian in here, if you're a follower of Christ, I believe every single believer, every single Christian ought to have a passport. Now, come on, y'all. Y'all ever sung, wherever he leads, I'll go? Now, how do you sing that and you don't have a passport? I'm not telling you you'll use it. But I'm telling you, it says to you that you're ready. You're ready. It's been amazing to me in my lifetime when I see people who simply say, God, if you can use me, if there's a place on this planet where I can go that, that you could use me and my experience and my testimony, then wherever it is, whenever it is, whatever it is, I'm ready. Oh, friends. Granny Lois from Mechanicsville, Virginia, 76 years old, came to me after a service and said, are you serious? Someone my age, and she told me her name was Granny and told me her age, 76. And I said, yes, I'm serious. She went and talked to her pastor, got her a passport, had never been out of the state of Virginia, had never flown on an airplane. Got her passport, went with a mission team to Francistown, Botswana. 76 years of age. First day of the outreach, sitting on a log with an interpreter while the team was talking to the women's worker about planning the trip. Granny Lois sits on this log with an interpreter and there's a young man sitting next to her and Granny, through this interpreter, asks him, can I tell you my story? And through the interpreter, she shares the gospel with a young man named Ditiro. And when she's through, she had never done this before. Never had this experience before. She gets through and she leans forward and looks at him because he was the eldest son of the women's worker from the Francistown Baptist Church. Assumed he was a Christian. So she leans forward and says, I guess you've already done that, meaning accepted the Lord. And he shakes his head no. And Granny looks over at him. And my friend Paul Klein, the missionary, said he overheard her say to him, well, young man, don't you think it's high time you did? <laughs> now there's a good witness. This young man had come under conviction, had been rebellious towards his family, bitter, angry young man. The youth group would come down and try to witness to him, and he'd throw stones at him and curse him, and he was a, you know, sometimes a drunkard, get off, and, and he was just bitter and angry because at 23 years of age, he was dying of HIV AIDS. Granny Lois from Mechanicsville, Virginia, sits on a log God uses her to lead him to faith. A few weeks later, baptized in the Francistown Baptist Church. Oh, if you could have been there that afternoon, you'd have heard his mama shout. Now, friends, I don't know where God might take you, but you need to have confidence in this gospel. That's why Paul could do this. He was ready, why? Because he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God and of salvation to everyone who believes it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
Today, on average, amongst the Han Chinese, 30,000 will come to faith every day. Amongst the Bhojpuri in India, Hindu background people, I was up in their area of Karnataka, and there over a million people have come to faith. Across the border in Bangladesh, from Bengali Muslim background believers, there's been a movement of people coming to faith. It's, the, the Bengalis tell us it's well over 600,000. A few weeks ago, we had not talked about this until it became public in the press, but three weeks ago in the, in the U.S. press, it was recorded fastest growing church in the world. If any of you saw it, do you remember where it was? Iran. Unbelievable. I'd met three different Iranian believers in different parts of the country who testified and told me the truth of that, of that movement. That when they go there, it's not uncommon for people to be coming to meet with them and ask them, can you tell me about Jesus? The unprecedented move of God around the world. And if I had time, and tonight I hope you'll come to, to the Mel Baptist Association annual meeting to hear more of what God's doing around the world. But friends, you don't want to miss this. We need to be alert, wide awake in this hour. God is moving in unprecedented ways around the world. And so this morning as pastor comes to just lead us in the time of invitation, that's my only, my only um, exhortation to you today is, is just to make yourself available. Why, why don't you just lay your yes before the Lord? Why don't you say to the Lord, if you can use me, my talents and my abilities, if I've got anything that, that's useful that you could use, then Lord, I'm just going to lay them before you. And if there's some way these can be useful to you before you even ask me, my answer is yes. And just lay your yes on the altar. Leave it up to him what he does with it. I'll tell you, you'll be amazed at what God can do with a crooked stick. What he can do with a couple of loaves, a couple of fish. Yes, friends, the wonderful thing for old Gordon Ford, who was a little old boy born and raised in the bush of Africa, is that uh, God's not dependent on my abilities. He's looking for a vessel. He's looking for somebody who'll just make themselves available and say, Lord, if you can use me, here I am. Because it's not based on what I can do. It's based on what he can do. Brothers and sisters, this is the God of the universe. He's firmly fixed in the heavens today. He hadn't gone anywhere. History is running exactly on time today. It's never early. It's never late. And one of these days, he's going to look across that throne room at one of his angels. I think it's going to be Gabriel. And he's going to tell Gabriel, pick that trumpet up. Time's up. And old Gabriel's going to blow that horn. And the Lord Jesus is going to descend. He's going to gather to himself his church. He's going to wrap this thing up. And on that day, he's told us, gathered at my throne, there's going to be people from every language, every people, every tribe, every nation, including Tifton, Georgia, to offer their praise and worship to me for the rest of eternity. So until that day, let's work hard.